what business models do exist in life science. Welcome to a new episode of Beginner's Minds, the Life Science Get Together podcast. Today I'm talking with Thomas Schirmann from Germany about the business model that exists in life science. Thomas has developed many companies and he has profound experience in the two possible models. One is the service business model. Just be aware, never say to a scientist, it's a service partner. It's always contract research. And the second one is actually the traditional drug development business model in which investors invest several million euros to develop a drug that later is sold to the pharmaceutical industry. Enjoy this philosophical talk about the business behind life science and welcome Thomas Schirmann. Uh, hello Christian, nice to be here. <laughs> Thomas, one question at the beginning. How did you become and end up as a life science entrepreneur? You want, you want the truth or you want... Uh... I'm, only, I'm only interested in the truth. No marketing. No <laughs> marketing. Just kidding. Um, without kidding, it, it is, it's a longer story actually, but I, I try to keep it a little bit short because uh, the whole uh, history to found UMAP is not straightforward. So I, I, I have a classical academic scientific background and I was working already for uh, more than yeah, eight years at the University of Braunschweig with uh, Stefan Dübel and others and actually with my co-founders already. Yeah. And we always had the feeling um, what we do uh, with, uh, with the technology to make antibodies and to engineer antibodies That is something valuable that's in the industry needed. And there's not so much uh, around. And um, we had already a number of industrial collaborations in the university. And the first problem, which was always there, is you cannot really work um, easily uh, from academic institutions with industry. So you always have problems with the legal department in the university. It takes time. You cannot really start a project within a short time. So it sometimes takes half a year or a year, and that is not feasible. And of course, you of course cannot also make money. Also this is maybe not the major driver, but at the end, it was annoying. And we thought, okay, let's try to do it very easily. And we founded a small company uh, just for licensing, uh, licensing out libraries. And the, the company was is, is still there. It's the map factory. And we realized... Um, that this company, which only should license out, it's a technology transfer company at the end, um, is not sufficient because people want more. Uh, other companies came to us, they want um, contract research and, 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 and want to, you know, partner developments and things like this. And so we thought, okay, we need more money. So the first you start is you look for money. And we tried twice with partners in Germany, different partners, and we failed gloriously. I mean, it was like, I don't know, 
was I, I really remember at least once we sitting with a, a bottle of champagne so in the in the idea tomorrow we will sign the contract and then you know like like very often actually on the day when it's important um we realized it will not work out and it wouldn't work out because um the we were not ready probably and second our partners had something in mind which we didn't have, have in mind and at the end um yeah probably it wouldn't have worked out so if you're running in different directions it will not work out we didn't know yet uh, at this time and you, conti so, you continued with your map Yeah, and then and then um, actually uh, after we failed a second time, we realized okay, let's let's just start the company, and um, uh, like Stefan Dubel was the driver behind it. Actually, I mean he already had more experience with this company and with industrial collaboration. So he said, okay, let's start a company, and uh, we were sitting together with four four founders actually at this time. Also, we want to found a company with four five people. And we had an, 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 an very experienced person on board, and but no one wants to be the boss of the company because everyone, <laughs> we had two professors, you know, we were scientists, we were uh, kind of happy, actually. I wouldn't say that today, actually. Um, and it, at this day, really, everyone made one step back and I was too slow. I always say the story. It's it's a little bit like this. No, I was really thinking about my career, and I thought, okay, I'm in the end of 30, and maybe I'm not. I don't want to be a professor in the future, mm -hmm. and all these uh, things you have to do. Um, and so I said, okay, I, let, I I do it. I have some support, you know, from the others, and um, yeah, that's how I got an entrepreneur the first time. And um, as you may already know, we already founded yeah, another company very recently. But I have to mention also our co-founders have learned from our experience. I mean, UMAP is not a startup anymore. It's, it's eight years mm -hmm. old. So we have survived the typical average lifetime of a company, I've heard. I think it's seven years or something. Congratulations. And, um, let's, let's, let's stay a little bit at the founding process. I think it's quite interesting. You said that uh, you tried twice to raise money initially and uh, that didn't work out. And afterwards, your co-founders and you decided, let's do it anyway. Let's not go for investment rounds. Let's directly approach the industry. How did you do that? How did you get your first contracts and customers tied down? No, it's, it's it's a little bit more complex, actually. Also at the beginning, we had an idea in mind, and it was always we want to offer contract research as a kind of a service or partner development. There was actually not so much... Just 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 a remark to, if anybody's listening to the podcast who is not familiar with life science, never ever call a contract research company a service business. I made this mistake several times and the scientists usually don't like it. So pharma industry will always say it's a service, of course, at the beginning. But I think if the scientists involved in the development understand that You start with an idea, with a project, and at the end, you will do something often very different. So you develop something new, innovative, and it's uh, it's not really predictable. I mean, you you have and that's why I would say it's it's not a typical service like you know ordering um, a gene or something, which is a 
classical process, which doesn't mean it's always easy, uh, but I'm just saying it's more straightforward. In our case, we have no clue uh, uh, what the antibodies will yeah. do, uh, but we have technologies which make it more probable that you get the right thing. And then you also have to um, do every stack after after the, the, the first um, discovery is depending from the candidate you get. So that means it's not predictable. And that means you have always to adjust the working plan and you work with your client or partners in a relatively collaborative approach. And you often change uh, uh, the, the project plans completely uh, upon the first results. So that's, I think that makes a big difference between a, a classical service. But anyway, um, I think to go back, um, the business plan we had in mind was, oh, we, we start to work for everyone and 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 we also work for researchers and so on. It was a very crude idea of everything. And and we had the idea, okay, before we go into therapeutic development, we maybe start with something easier. And at the end, uh, it's what we had to learn after a year is this didn't work out because um, the, the, the researchers in the universities don't have money. And you will never have a chance to survive. And the first thing you ha we had to learn is, so the, of course, we have known we have to earn money from the first day. And we realized with the first approach, we will not survive. And that's, uh, we changed the business plan at least twice, probably in the first one, two years. And um, what we experienced is the first year is interestingly the easier one because you always start with some you know, some contracts and contacts uh, um, which you just take over. Yeah, as usually you start not, as we haven't started with nothing, we had something. But in the second year, um, for example, we had a huge contract and the client disappeared. As it did not, it did not disappear actually, it disappeared for a year, a pharma company, and, and because it changed the strategy. And I think this is very interesting for me. When you once started the company, the button is on. on. You cannot switch it off. Uh, and you have to learn to survive also these uh, uh, complicated situations. Yeah, I mean, this is part of the job. And it's a small company. I mean, we were like, after two years, we were two, three people only. And you don't have much costs, but... But at the end, you have to make your money or you will not survive. And I think um, this, is, this is what brought us really to the point after the third year to understand that you have to be very active and already predict situations and be very flexible. That's, I think, what, what's important. And and I think the second uh, or third uh, point which helped us a lot is that we learned a lot from our contacts, from our partners, from from these many meetings. It's probably a next question how how we get in contact with clients. Uh, but actually, yeah. it was a very yeah. <laughs> it's a very <laughs> uh, interesting process because in the first year I had no clue. We lived only from our previous contacts. And then I, we had the first um, um, fair where we presented the company, completely wrong for us. It was not for us made, but I get in touch with real uh, yeah, other companies 
and people who had the same problem. And that's uh, what I really liked, uh, uh, that we exchange information. So we are sitting mm -hmm. in the same boat. It's an ecosystem of companies. Everyone has different problems. And you start to exchange and help. And I learned very, very, very fast that where I have to go. Yeah. And, um, and I think um, these um, very important meetings for me were at this time, Where I learned most of my job actually, because I haven't learned what, management and so on. After 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 these key meetings that you had, what did you change in your approach? What was the key learnings that you took with you? Stay with us. We'll be right back. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step -step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step -step guide to starting your podcast today. Also the key learning step is that technology is not the most important or not the only important thing or expertise. This is what you think as a scientist. You think technology is important, uniqueness is important, um, uh, you know, um, kind of the, the uh, I don't know the word, the reputation is very important, of course. But what's more important is <laughs> you have to make uh, marketing and business development. I mean, you have to get in touch with your clients. They are not falling from, from the sky. They are, they are out there, but you have to get them. And that takes time. Also a typical timeline from the first contact of a new client and, and, and maybe, maybe the first contract, it takes a year average, maybe yeah. lo longer. Yeah, it doesn't mean it's always like this, but I have had uh, sometimes eight meetings on, on different bios uh, all over the world. And then we, we, we just made the first project. And um, I, I was wondering why it takes so long. It's not just that some decision processes in the other companies are very slow. It is also as more often you meet someone personally, at, at, uh, I mean, this, this is not changing actually, this corona, I will, we will see how it works out. It's if you meet someone several times and maybe you, 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 you drink a beer together, that means you talk about other things than business and you learn to trust someone. I think this is what, what yeah. helps you a lot. And then you start with the first project and then you have the second project and so on. Um, in our case, it's um, we have a lot of uh, small biotech clients. So that means a, a small company makes a few projects and then they go to the next level. So this company will not stay forever a, a discovery and, and preclinical company. And then we lose them. But the same people, they go to another company and then they maybe come back to you. And that is just taking a lot of time until you have your network and from this network you cannot survive forever you have to re re replenish it you have to stay in touch 
And um, there are also other things we do. Uh, we also do collaborations at the beginning. And sometimes we start with academic collaborations, which, uh, which are spin out into companies. So because we are a very early stage, yeah, we start when often there is no antibody, there is just an idea, there is a target. Sometimes even the biology and the function is not clear. And, and, and you know, this is so somehow we are a little bit in a difficult situation that our companies or our, our clients are often not visible. And you can find them only on these scientific conferences, but very often also on these bios because they are looking for money. Mm -hmm. That's where we are somehow trying, maybe help them, helping them in the first project uh, that they generate more value. Yeah? And with this value, they raise more money and then maybe you, you get a bigger project. So this I've, is what we what we do typically, and yeah, we are now 25 people starting from quasi one person me in eight years, and yeah, and I'm very happy that it worked out. Yeah, it's it's not uh, that I always have known that it will work out. After the second year, I wasn't sure about it. I I know how it is when you look on your bank account, and uh, you see there is not much money left. Uh, I know this situation. Uh, but when you once survived this kind of situation, you have learned a lot and you cannot learn yeah. it in, in a university, in my opinion. And I think you do not, in a, you cannot read a book about it. It's not standing anywhere. It's just, you, you have to make some experiences. Um, unfortunately, we are still here in the German speaking countries are still in a thinking that everything has to be successful. In my opinion, I, I, I learned a lot about the Americans um, that if you fail, you just have to stand up and make, uh, give it another trial. I think this has to change here a little bit in Germany um, and maybe in Austria too, I don't know. Um, because I, I, I know the feeling, there was always a situation you can fail yeah, at the beginning. And um, I think people are afraid to fail. And that's part of the job. You make a decision and maybe the decision is wrong. And then you have to change the, your decision and survive your, your failures, failures and errors you make. And um, at the end, I'm sure when you do something good and you have a good idea in biotechnology, you, you probably will be successful. And that's a good chance, at least in the field. No, I absolutely agree to that. Uh, failure is part of the game. So, as you say, entrepreneurship. Christian, you never failed. Don't tell me. <laughs> <laughs> I so many times I stopped counting that. Uh, I'm not talking about it. I know. <laughs> no, really. Uh, Entrepreneurship cannot be learned in school or on the university. I completely agree to that. You have to get yourself out on the field. And I think entrepreneurship has a lot to do with science or is similar to science because also, as I see science, uh, it's a process of working through failures. And this is maybe one reason why science, <laughs> no scientific I, uh, inventions that started successfully right from the start, I believe, or am I wrong? <laughs> I can tell you stories. Uh, uh, this is actually really true. Uh, I always, I mean, I, I, I teach a little bit at the universities for some time. And I always say to the students, so if you want to be a scientist, you have to learn to live with, uh, with failures. 
So I think uh, nine from 10 uh, project ideas are not good. And most of them will fail completely. You have to somehow develop at least 10 ideas to have one successful one. And um, I think the difference between my time at the university and now is that at the university, you often have a lot of time. And this is what you don't have in industry. So industry is, is extremely much more pragmatic in understanding that you realize after, let's say, six months, this project will fail. I think or, that I or you have to invest so much money that you cannot do it. So it has to fail in your hands, but you have to give it up. What, what, what I like in business is money is the big equalizer. So basically, yeah. <laughs> when, when uh, com compared to science, when you go out on the market with a business idea and it doesn't work out, there is always the zero line on the bank account. You can go a little bit, you can overdraw your bank account a little bit, but that's it. Either you raise money or you convince investors. So you have to learn selling or you convince a customer that's the same skill. You have to learn selling. And what I liked in your speech was that uh, you realized quite quickly when uh, becoming CEO of UMAP that it's not all about the technology. You have to have in mind that you need customers and you need to get out there. And what I see in our industry is very often this, as you said, this expectation of this short time frame. So people go out on the market and expect when they put their technology out there at the conference, next day they have an investor and 10 customers. But that's not the case. I believe we have very, very complex projects that just need time to build relations to customers. And you addressed it very well. Uh, you said it takes almost a year until you really close the deal. Also, it, just in our business, I, I, I cannot compare on that. But I tell you, it, if you talk to a number of people, you, at least in the contract research and also in the services often, I mean, you have to understand in our case that the project volume is not um, buying buying a gene or something. It's getting more expensive. So the decision-making process also takes more time. As I mentioned, you have to trust in the technology and, um, and also often our clients have still to find the money and that sometimes also takes them yeah. one or two years. That's the reason why it takes so long. But what I want to mention is, is this, uh, what I learned. And I actually sometimes still feel it with my founders, which are still at the university, not all of them, two of them are professors, that sometimes they still see everything a little bit through, um, yeah, through a very beautiful glasses, as a rosa rote Brille. I don't yeah, know yeah. the English word. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> you have no idea. So everything looks better than it is. And I see and say, okay, listen, this antibody needs to be improved. You don't have this data. You have to show this and this and this and this. And that takes you, it costs you a lot of money. And then you often realize you're not there yet. You know? You're still far away from there. And if you, if we plan things from our side, we already understand it costs us, let's say, a quarter million to get there. We don't have the money today. We cannot make the project. We don't start it. Yep. Yeah? And that, that's a little bit the difference. 
And um, I also realized we have a number of academic collaborations and we learned it a hard lesson how, how sometimes when, you, when, it, when we're talking and negotiating conditions about the exploitation of the results, how high the idea, their idea at, at the academic institutions, it's not even the scientists, it's often also the technology transfer who believe that um, this is already a multi-million blockbuster, whatever. And I realized, you know, guys, there is, a, I think, a 0.2% chance that a, a preclinical candidate goes through until it gets to a multi-billion dollar market. It means we have to make uh, 500 projects together. Maybe one makes it. Yeah. We, we cannot make it 500 projects, but just statistically, yeah. And I mean, mathematics is typically not lying. And of course, these are not only numbers, but it, it should equilibrate. And if you calculate the risk into the numbers, you get out with a much more fair um, um, compromise, but a compromise between, between the partners, yeah. Because at the end, you cannot sell it as is. You still have to invest another half a million or something, which actually we also don't have. So we have to find partners. And they also want to have fair conditions. And then often you stuck. You stuck sometimes uh, half a year, a year, and do not move forward because no one really understands uh, what is the, the real value, not the expectation. The, and that's, you're right. The market at the end decides. You get the money. Yeah. You are maybe lucky, yeah, or you sell it in the right way, or it's really valuable because someone else gives you the money for that. But then I, you know, I was I was listening to a podcast of Gary Vaynerchuk this morning, and uh, he says the market is always right. So when you <laughs> fail, if somebody fails, uh, the market is always right. It's not the entrepreneur. Not no, the that's guy. that's I I do not agree on that. Mm. It's. Of very often right, but the market sometimes also runs because of unknown reasons into the wrong direction. Yeah. And this is actually the interesting part where I believe there's, if people understand where the market, as the market will, over a very long time, will have right, because things which are not successful will not survive. But I think sometimes, and these are actually the interesting gaps where a lot of people running in the wrong direction. This is the typical way is everyone wants to make a, let's say, a checkpoint inhibitor PL1 or whatever. So there are hundreds of projects, yeah. But no one, as we may have at the end maybe three, four drugs on the market, maybe six drugs. So to be realistic, most of them have no chance to survive. Um, but others may have a different angle and see something which the others don't see. Yeah. And and they prepare the market but maybe in two, three or five years. And this is actually also, I think there's a lot of opportunity, but there's also a lot of risk. Also I take an example from, from not from biotechnology now, from, bio, uh, from life science, but remember we, we, before the, the, the smartphones, we had already these kind of PDAs and things. They were never really successful. So they prepared, they had already uh, capabilities which we could really need, but the market was not ready. It was, the technology was not advanced enough. 
and the market was not ready. And then um, within less than a few years, everything changed. Yeah. Today, I wouldn't develop a new smartphone probably anymore because it's, <laughs> this is already saturated the market. I mean, know? sometimes I think, yeah, I, I think Apple paved, paved the way to the smartphones. And what, 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 I like, uh, what I like in the Apple case, and I think we can learn a lot also for life science, uh, even if it's a different industry, is that it must not be rocket science sometimes. It must not be the best possible solution that wins the Nobel Prize that makes or that survives on the market. Right. It must just be a little bit, a little change, a little twist. For example, Apple, uh, I like the iPod example that I started a little bit in the last couple of weeks. So I'm just, I'm just, um, now I was just thinking about, uh, uh, someone said, if you're not ashamed of your product, to bring it on a market, then you're already too late. I don't know yeah. what to, who said it. I learned it in a, actually, I also did some, some bio boot camp for founding a company, yeah. which didn't help me a lot, but I learned some of these little um, ideas, which I can teach to, to, to students whatsoever. But I like this concept because this is actually what always happened in the beginning with me is I, I, I was thinking, We are not good enough with our technology and that is wrong. You are good enough if someone gives you money for that and you will be very fast better because your client comes back to you and tells you, wow, oh, we are not happy with that one. So you have to work in another, you know, you have to repeat the project and you do it better. And you will be better very fast because the pressure is high. And, and this is what I learned at least here. And I think you will learn it in any kind of company because you know, when you, we are, when you're not getting better or good enough, you will, you will be over. I mean, you can, you can, you can often calculate when your money runs out. Yeah. As a, in, in many of these projects. Mm. And I know companies, um, It's not always fair. The market is sometimes wrong, but some companies survived 10, 20 years somehow. And sometimes then they have success, but this is not the typical thing. This is an exception and is actually yeah. from the market pr perspective, very unnatural. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, we have seen, we have seen recently with COVID-19, some companies uh, after 20 years gets uh, like uh, 300 million going to the stock exchange rising another 200 million and um, without any product uh, in the market or something. And that can happen, but this is, in my opinion, a very rare and very strange example. I think the typical way is you, you will be successful after five, six, seven years or not. I think the huge, I think the huge difference is uh, product in the market in life sciences we are typically b2b business so bringing any product to the market in drug development i just talk about drug development currently uh i think for a biotech is uh, a mission that is nice but there are already many pharma companies out there who control the access to the patients so in my opinion as a uh, absolutely right yeah it would be stupid to just build the next best pharma company right from scratch uh what we have to focus on is serving the pharma industry and especially closing this very complicated gap between the academic world and the pharma industry 
So this is, I think, the complicated part that we have to do. Disclosing the gap between the universities and the pharma industry is our job. Uh, what role does UMAP exactly play in this game? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Money is all around us, and we think about it more than almost every other aspect of our lives. But how can we make more of it, and what's our drive for building wealth beyond just the numbers in our bank account? Join us on the Make More podcast as our host, Matt Heslin, brings to you a dynamic lineup of experts in the world of investing, business, health, and beyond. Together, they unpack the secrets to not just surviving, but thriving in today's economy. It's about more than just wealth. It's about crafting life experiences, seizing opportunities, and building a legacy. Subscribe now to the Make More with Matt Heslin podcast and join us every week for new expert insights and inspiration. Uh, let me let me just go one thing to think back. You you mentioned B two B. This is very important. I mean, we our clients are not not the the. The, the 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 normal person on the street, let's say. So what we do is we offer services and contract research for other companies. And that at the beginning, and that I also had to learn is how do you get in touch with the decision makers? And I think this is actually still a big question. You know, there's no good answer. It just works about networking over a very long time. So it just mm. you, you cannot just go directly to the management, even so the management are not the right decision makers, you're working with other people, but you still need to understand. And it, it took a while to figure out how to do that. Again, the bios, uh, you're talking with other business developers, you get in touch and then over the time, you get in touch with the right people. On, but this is not the only way you have to talk to scientists, you have to talk to uh, you have to make some good marketing. You have to generate visibility. So, I mean, we are a 25 uh, people company. You can imagine this takes a lot of energy from everyone. And at the end, um, um, yeah, you often don't know if what you did the last year had really impact uh, on, on new clients. This is extremely hard to measure. So all, everything I learned about marketing is actually, and I have not, not understood nothing about it, because uh, the typical rules you, you, you can read somewhere in a book or, or, or you can hear from other people do not work out. So that's why I'm still going, if I can again, going on these partnering meetings uh, because of two reasons. Because I get in touch with the people. I can, I mean, I understand everything we do, but also because I have to increase our network. And, um, and that's what helped actually that, that on this fundamental uh, strategy, I would say our success is based that we were going out and talking directly face-to-face -face with other people. I completely agree with what you say. I think there is no rule book in the world that describes the business models in the life science industry. All the books that I read at university were structured for a typical B2C business. Um, and when I think about the books that were structured for B2B, it's mostly digital, digital world, but this world works in a different way. Uh, in our world, you mostly need the trust, you need the uh, credentials from university that you already achieved academic success. You have to understand a very, very complicated uh, industry. Pharmaceutical development is not easy. It's not for everybody. And on top of that, 
you need the network. And this, this is what I perceive when I talk to young entrepreneurs is very often forgotten that uh, the people need the network. And usually uh, the persons who are 20, 30, 40 years in the industry do have the network. So uh, do you also work together with, uh, do you have an advisory board or, or rely on uh, people that uh, help you to yeah. get in touch with other people? <laughs> Also actually, um, at UMAP, um, there is not a real advisory board because, mm -hmm. I mean, it makes sense probably if you rise from investors 20 million, you, you surely need an advisory board. Um, my advisory board is actually uh, uh, our, our founders. I mean, um, they have a huge network. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's going over, I don't know, all over the world. This, this hundreds of collaborations which is extremely i mean this is really a lucky situation for us and second based on these networks of course i mean some or not some a lot of these people scientists scientists we also work with umap now as an outside academic just to promote and help with their project and this is actually coming to your second question which we just which you already mentioned, is what, what is UMAP doing? UMAP is maybe not as a major business component making money, but we are also helping with our capa capa capacities, yeah, um, in our partners, academic partners in our network with some of the projects, yeah. And this is actually maybe our scientific academic heritage which we still preserve is that we also see most of the innovative ideas come usually not all but most of them coming from scientists in these institutions yeah so because it's just a numbers gain i mean they have time they can do 20 years of research without going going to be bankrupt yeah, they, they have a huge network of people and this, they, they have only one problem and they're usually running out of money and, and capacities and technologies in the moment when a commercial exploitation comes into reach. Mm -hmm. However, it is still a, a huge gap which they cannot close. Yeah. And uh, I think in America, you can see maybe there's a different, um, it's a different culture. A lot of these scientists often have learned that this is also a way of going out and spinning out a company. Um, and here in Europe, I would say this is not so typical. And um, that means you have to really close the gap until you, you have a, a te technology or an asset which can be licensed out to a company. And we all know it's extremely complicated to license anything out which has not at least some really fundamental preclinical data, yeah. typically we would say an animal model or something, and maybe have also reached a certain degree of, uh, let's say, readiness. Um, um, for example, you already should show some, you know, at least preliminary data that this asset, for example, an antibody, for example, could be developed into a clinical compound. So to interrupt you, I would like to add something. Uh, 
I completely agree to what you say. I think in, in Europe, we are lacking behind uh, in terms of tech transfer. So there is a, the right place for a technology uh, over its development path. So that's why we have a value chain. When I think at the university, I think it's the right place for designing the concept, the concept only. Um, the mindset on the university and the success criteria usually are publications and patents. So I, I only see those two. And when you want to make out of an idea commercial success, we need this mindset shift. And for that, we need to spin out the idea to companies, but not to the pharma industry initially, because they are further down the value chain. They are proficient in taking prototypes, perfecting the prototypes, getting the last studies done, filing with the FDA and the EMA and bringing the product to the market. But in between, there are these people, and this is a completely unique mindset, who understand how to take a concept and make the initial prototype out of this concept. And very often, when I look at this bridge from university into these first companies, a lot of tech transfer officers I'm talking to try to close the gap to the pharma industry directly, uh, which I think is just not the right point to look no, it, for. No, it, it works. It works. But it works in one in thousand cases. That's that's the problem. I mean, and also when you look on, then, then you know, you, you have a typically project time for a PhD student or for a typically grant application running for three years, mm. which is actually a long time. But if you see how inefficient it works because you have a new student who needs a year to learn the technology, then maybe you're realizing the project is not perfectly designed. So in three years, you can do what you could do in industry in a year or even faster. Mm. So. But the industry is not doing it because they, they, they will not invest in something where they have no idea if it ever works out. That's why we need also this academic research very urgently. But then the PhD has finished, the project has end, you have to write an exploitation plan or whatever. So what you do is you, you write a patent application on a level which is often not good enough. Not to say it's often very far from being good enough, yeah. And 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 instead of investing another, let's say, um, let's say, two hundred thousand euro or something to make it better, the the universities have no money for that. So there is no fund. And it's not Sometimes the job of the universities. You can try, yeah, yeah. Or you apply for for another grant application, then you lose another year, then you get another funding, then you need a new PhD student, you have another three. You you understand that that it really doesn't work out. But you have already a patent application which is running and it's losing with every year it loses value. So and that's why um, this is, has to change somehow. I, I have no solution for that because it's still out of our focus because uh, it, it should have been done already at the university or they have to partner it early on and then share share it. But this is not happening really. Uh -huh. what, what, what is now Yumab doing? We, we had this situation that we already support some of the very early research as making antibodies for certain kind of um, applications, um, often in oncology and immunology, um, and uh, help them to get to a point where they at least generate some interesting data. Yeah? But then 
And now we cannot really help so much anymore because we don't have the finance financing to move that really into an advanced preclinical or even clinical stage. At this stage, we just can help uh, to maybe spin out a company which is under discussion, or maybe we support their uh, initiative to make a company and we license the antibody to them, and then they can try and we help them a little bit with with contacts and so on. Um, but in principle, um, the gap which needs to be closed, and we cannot, we can only do a little part of it, is we have a gap, uh, not I, I think not in the seed financing, which is probably in Europe, maybe half a million, something like this, mm -hmm. maybe a little bit. I think we have to close the gap to get near to the clinic, and which is around about, I think it's between uh, two to five million. Also for the clinic, if you really want to have a clinical candidate, it's probably more 5 million. If you reach this point as a small company, you will find investors who gives you whatever, not whatever, but they will find probably 20 million to move it to phase one and two. Mm. And then you would probably license it out to, to pharma. I think pharma is all, uh, at phase one could already be done, but it's better at phase two. Because this is what pharma is doing is pharma is not developing innovative drugs, even so they, they say they do it. It's not true or not. At least most of the time, it's not true. What they do is they buy companies, they license them in at a stage where they come in with their power, with the money uh, to make a phase three trial and to develop and yeah. make an ex a commercial exploitation. And, and and this is logically a, a biotech company. Even if you get the money, and we are talking about hundreds of millions, to get through the market uh, into the market, uh, you will ne never have the, the 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 logistics to bring the drug to to the patient to the doctors in different countries. And that's why that is a, this is a business of pharma. This is a logical absolutely. business. So you have, absolutely, absolutely. Here's a big pharma. The bad big pharma companies, which are not liked by the scientists, you have here the scientists, then you have here the biotech, yeah, the ecosystem of biotechs, maybe even different biotechs in different levels. And I think we have to fill the gap in Europe from, let's say, from the academic exploitation to spin out the company to a level when the next player brings it into the cl clinic or the company has enough money from investors. Uh, and I mean, we're talking a lot of money. I mean, it's, it's not 10 million, it's probably 20 million. Yep. But I know some investors who would, who would take over if the project is good enough at this stage. And of course, you have also to understand this uh, in this phase between, let's say, seed financing and before the clinic or maybe the first clinical development, there's a huge risk of failing. And I think that's the reason why a lot of people don't want to invest here. And I think we need something like a combination of public funding and private investors that's, because that's, uh, to yeah. share the risks. Uh, and we need 20 projects maybe. Uh, you have to invest in many projects to get six, uh, more projects into the clinic. And then I think from the clinic, the chances to be in a, from phase one to two, there's a good chance to get there. And from phase two to three, it's getting better and better. And I think then you always find more and more money, even the big money, the 200, 300, maybe more million. 
which we have seen from from CureVac and BioNTech recently, uh, they get the money when they are once um, so advanced and they can show that they perform in the clinic. No, they need. I think what what the companies have to prove, and I completely agree to what you say, is that they are able to develop, to move concepts forward to prototype stage. What you said is really smart, and they see the same on the market. Uh, the majority of deals, I believe, still uh, when a pharma company buys another company is in phase two stage. So they have phase two data already tied down. Sometimes pharma steps in earlier. Uh, the, the skill set needed to get uh, a, a clinical candidate through the phase one successfully and also um, developing efficacy data in either phase two, one or two trials, depending on the indication, is a unique skill set that usually I don't see very much in pharma these days. And the step before delivering the preclinical uh, package is the next skill set that we need, which is completely different from the clinical development. Um, and also these two differ from the academic stage. And the interesting thing is when I go out uh, fundraising for companies, it's really easy for clinical stage companies to get money in because they have proven they can develop. They have proven uh, ideally that already with one uh, drug, they successfully accomplished clinical success. So putting investors on that company, like Davis Bioscience in Austria is quite easy. Um, also in the academic world, there is an abundance of money, even in Europe uh, for basic research. The gap between the clinical world and the academic world is huge and there are almost no investors in there. So this is something where Europe definitely can improve. Stay with us. We'll be right back. The Coaching Conversation 2024. This podcast is 100% dedicated to leadership and leadership within the workplace coaching area. We work with companies throughout the world teaching leaders how to coach their employees. This podcast is dedicated to teaching specific strategies, frameworks, coaching models, and now artificial intelligent strategies to help leaders drive greater teamwork, collaboration, cooperation, greater attitudes, better motivation, coaching career development, just to name a few. I hope you'll check out our podcast. Yeah, I, I think I think uh, I don't know where the money should come from. I mean, in the re to, to be realistic, uh, currently, if you put your money on a bank account, you know, th there's nothing happening anymore. Or maybe mm -hmm. you even have to pay money. And this is a situation probably for everything. And there's a lot of money around. The money is there. I would not suggest a private uh, investor to put the last money into biotech. This is risk, risky business. So you need really specialized people understanding the business. And that's why I'm saying maybe it's also important that 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 we should have some um, governmental support in in this um, challenge. Okay. Nevertheless, um, I think um, what I also see as a problem is uh, maybe going one step before academic research has 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 some money. I wouldn't say it's too much. Yeah, this is not true. Uh, the the major issue I see in academic research is that there is no money to preserve um, scientific experts for a longer time. So we invest most of the money into educating young students to be to get a PhD. And this is, I think, the major drawback. Uh, I was in the university, so every three, four years, you have a change of generation. You start more or less from zero. 
And that's why um, I think um, you cannot develop an expertise to develop yourself um, very far into preclinical or even cl clinical, even if you want to do it, because you don't have the experts. You start always, uh, you go always after three, four years, you go back to zero and then you start again. And that's why you need companies which have set up expertise over 10 yeah. years or longer. Uh, I can give you the, the example. Uh, we've spun out recently uh, Corat Therapeutics for our fast track COVID-19 project, which maybe explains a little bit also how, how UMAP tries to support innovation. This is initially in, in, in March this year, when everyone you know was under lockdown, uh, people in Germany, our founders, Stefan Dübel and others, uh, decided uh, with some clinicians from Tübingen and from, from Hanover and, and uh, also people from, from big pharma industry, actually, not, not the management, but the, the scientists in, in these big companies uh, get in touch and said, okay, we can do something. And then they started to develop um, a strategy to develop, we can make full human antibodies, we can make patient libraries, so everything was there. And then uh, around about uh, yeah, end of April, we had already the first fully neutralizing antibody candidates, even earlier, actually. And we spin out the company because we didn't get any funding. So this was a little bit the, the situation why someone had to spin out the company. And I was then the person who said, okay, if no one wants to do it, it's again, like how I got to see all this uh, of UMAP, I, I became the founder of, or UMAP get the founder of the new company. Mm -hmm. And also because we already had some 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 political support from from our region and so on that they put some money into it, and we found the company. What I now realize how much how many people are involved to develop this clinical. We have now a clinical candidate which is as a under development. It's uh, now going into GMP after less less than uh, six seven months from the scratch. Yeah? And um, how many people are sometimes involved? So there, I mean, a lot of people haven't worked without funding, just with some support of, of their own companies or uh, because they want to do it. And, uh, but it is, it's a huge number of people. So we're talking maybe about 50 to 100 people. Mm -hmm. and, and the court therapeutic has uh, now a CEO and no one else. Yeah, You understand a little bit the situation. And so to, to translate this situation back uh, to our situation in academic sciences, there are no hundred people who can develop something in any university. They are not there. So what you can do is only you can accomplish uh, some experimental results. And from there, you either have enough money to source it out, which you don't have usually, or you need a company partner. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or you have to spin out a company and then they take over. And this is, I think, what I what I learned about is is it is completely impossible, or maybe happens once in, in many, many years, um, that you really develop something yourself um, which will be successfully through clinical development because you just don't have the expertise, you don't have the money, you don't have the infrastructure, you have not the capacity to do that. And um, I think this has to be um, closed by a huge economic 
environment, uh, ecological, I always say economic, ecological environment of biotech companies and investors and uh, service contract research companies, which are replenishing at the end the pharma industry with novel compounds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, as I mentioned, it is less than 1% chance that a preclinical candidate gets through the market. That means pharma industry needs 100 compounds or the, the market needs 100 compounds to be developed that maybe one drug is at the end in our um, drug stores, you know, as in our, in our, in, in, in getting into the clinic, as a, in, are available for, 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 for treatment. Yeah. And every candidate costs about 20, 30 million until failure. So I completely see it the same way that you do. What I like in the industry when I talk to people, they always talk about the small biotech, com biotech companies. So you have five, six people in the company and then they get hundreds of million. And then the question is why? <laughs> why do they get so much money? They are, they are yeah, but but small. you need the money. You, you, yeah. you, this is, you don't pay the six people and everyone gets 10, 12, 15 million. That's not true. You, you, you have probably a good uh, um, um, income, but uh, I think uh, the most of the money goes to external uh, um, partners. I mean, just let's say a simple antibody developed nowadays, um, I would calculate uh, rather 10 million than five. Of course, you can get it a little bit cheaper, but this is already a compromise. If you do that at this level, you may have a problem years later that it's not well developed. And and uh, I have to say, I'm talking about millions. We don't have the money in Yuma. This is beyond what, what we can. So I always, uh, I was, I mean, I, when, I, when I get my financing for Corrad, I can tell you it is still uh, very extremely short uh, to, to, to get pro without problems. So the phase one, so we still look for money. That's is a normal the, situation. Is the information publicly available already? How much money you raised? No, for, uh, it's not publicly <laughs> available. Um, but I, I say if someone just uh, has some money laying around, um, contact me. <laughs> um, I also want to mention, uh, uh, because I founded Corot Therapeutics, but what I also... Um, what is the focus of Corot? Corrad uh, develops um, the a, a, a novel neutralizing antibody compound um, for treating uh, COVID-19 as severe cases or protect uh, is it, is for, it, even for protection. We will okay. see of uh, of COVID-19. Yeah. Is it uh, and against the disease or is it uh, more it's, as a protection? It's against the virus. Yeah. It's, okay. It's, so this is against the virus, and the idea is um, to have um, the IMPD ready in, in, in November and at uh, end of November and with a little bit luck we can start in January the, the phase phase one trial. That's and um, so let's say this is a challenge because what we did something in 10 months which or we want to do something in 10 months which typically takes two years or longer uh, often even three years and um, yeah this is but this is as is, is, as always, I mean, we don't know if we will be successful at the end. Uh, money is always a problem, but we could get, although we haven't lost any day in this process since, since uh, May in our plan. 
because uh, we could make the company in time. We get raise some money, and and if we need more money, we will find the money, and then we will after the phase one probably everything gets easier. Uh, that's that's the way it is. Yeah. So your pro so it, project it, is funded until uh, the end of the year, if I got it right. And then you are looking for additional funding for the phase one study. Yeah, but this is actually, I have to say, it's, uh, I'm very happy that I, 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 we found now also CEO. I mean, I was the first boss uh, founder of the company because so no one else was there. But now we have uh, with Andreas Hermann uh, a person who also has the experience to do something which has not been done in Germany and in Europe before. And I was, and this is also very important to understand, it's not an ego thing. It's just to understand who's the right person. Yeah? But we couldn't st have started without the money. So that, that, that is, uh, at the end, I, I have to say, again, when you do something and you keep the ball running, you will have, you get new opportunities. Yeah? And I'm sure um, we will not have any problems to find additional money to get through the phase one and then later on. Because um, if you once have, uh, have shown the data and the success at this level, then someone else comes in and says, okay, you have proven me that this is a good project and it's a very important project, even so. And, and, and then uh, they come to you and say, okay, I support your project. Um, I think we will probably need the real money in from phase one to two, as the, the step into phase two, which is actually, I have to admit, we already prepare uh, also um, steps to having the compound phase two ready, at least. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean everything will be ready because it's too expensive currently, but we have at least things prepared that we immediately can start uh, when the money is there with the phase two development. And this is important. Of course, we will have probably a gap of uh, a few months, but um, maybe someone comes in and says, uh, uh, okay, I give you the money now, then we maybe uh, can even spare two, three months. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Everything is time. This is a typical example. No one should start to develop today from the scratch. Either you do it now as fast as possible without, um, I mean, we still have to comply with the regulations. So we cannot, we do, we have some, uh, um, let's say some shortcuts, uh, which are discussed with the, with the regulatory authority in, in Germany, but the quality still have to be the same like in any other project. So no one will ever approve to phase one uh, if you're not comply with the same regulations, with the same quality, like for any other project, which typically takes three years. That's so, true. So no one can say, oh, now it's everything possible. Of course, we can do things which we couldn't do before, but we still have to care about all the security measures which are necessary. And, and of course, it will be carefully checked by, by the authorities. Yeah? Mm -hmm. yeah. No, this is, this it's is very interesting. For me, it's also new. I haven't done that before. And I can tell you, um, this is also one of the reasons I like it. And I, I regretted it uh, probably several several nights when I was sitting and trying to negotiate the terms. Um, but at the end, um, you know, it was so important for all of us, for me, for our founders, for the other people in the consortium, that I think um, that we generate here something really good and 
okay, this is not a marketing thing here. I say we are not, we are not doing this job only because of the money. We, 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 we like our job. We like what we do. And we are also very happy when our clients later have a success. And like one of our clients made a $1 billion deal with a big pharma company. We don't get the money, actually, as it's so unfortunately. But at the end, we are very happy for them and that we did a good job. And this is, I think, um, in also, again, something which comes from our, probably from our academic heritage, um, that we, 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 we love our job. Yeah? We love research and we love to do this in a way because um, it feels good to know that maybe once in the future, in five or ten years, or maybe in a few years, uh, a, a drug from us, made by us, is in the market and helps people. Yeah, I completely agree to what you say. I mean, uh, studying successful people, success concepts and successful businesses is something I'm passionate about since I was a kid. Um, when I look at success, what you say is really key to success. You need to have a vision and to need to be passionate about what you're doing first. Absolutely. And then the money follows. Everybody that I saw, really almost everybody that I saw who started something because of the money or said uh, in pharma there is so much money i want to get rich quick uh it, it simply failed all the big successes came out of uh, a passionate vision and not uh the wish to become a billionaire very quickly yeah i mean i even don't know what to do with a billionaire <laughs> You maybe. I, I would have some track development ideas. <laughs> yeah, for example. When we make a billion, we could take this billion and invest it uh, into the early stages of development where the risk is very high and money is very scarce. It's, ju it's just a statistics game. Yeah, but uh, you, you know what I mean? I mean, uh, at the end, if you just do it because of the money, um, then you probably... I don't know if you really survive the time when you don't get the money. I mean, uh, uh, if you really, because it's not straightforward. Yeah. And uh, I, I know I read a lot about uh, other companies in different fields and you see an up and down. Someone has a vision, invest money, loses sometimes billions and then started new. I, I, I appreciate those kind of visions. Yeah. Even so, I don't like the type of people sometimes behind, but I think what I like is they, they, they try to move ideas forward and change the future somehow. Yeah. Without getting a God complex or something. I mean, <laughs> yeah. but, but, but without these visions, we would stuck into the same system. And this is actually what I often realize in our culture in in, 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 in in Germany, I often realize that people are very happy with having a house, a garden, a family, that's that's it, accomplished, and then die or whatever. I don't know. This is, I think, what we can do here is we can really change things. I mean, it's not just about um, the antibody development and drugs, it's also, I mean, we, we made jobs, for example. We have a very cool environment here. I think it, it feels good what we do. And, and we, I think we need more people who really appreciate that. But I also have to say to everyone who wants to make a company, it's, it's sometimes extremely hard. I mean, you, you're going sometimes on your limit. And if you don't have the passion and the vision, um, to, to do that, 
maybe you shouldn't do it yeah or maybe you're not not uh, you need some time yeah because uh, i i have to say it took took me a while maybe a year or two but then i really made the change and appreciate my decision uh, the first year was horrible for me the second year was also horrible for me but then i realized when you see that this what you do is successful and 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 that you see that fruits come out of of what you what you invested then um you you get a completely new perspective and i wouldn't found the next company uh without this knowledge i have today so you know this is a logical context and I, as i mentioned uh, out of our co-founders of our you know four people we have another uh, two companies now spun out um Uma has also five companies now spun out they are all small every of these companies have a unique uh, idea to develop something and um and and i mean when you realize it in germany i think every year we have only like 15 new companies in biotech okay um it shows a little bit the problem i think we we have we have not this um entrepreneurship sounds a little bit i think always too high i don't feel like an entrepreneur but i, I think we are scared we we don't teach students to don't be afraid to risk to make a company and um and of course we have to support it more because i can tell you when you make your company um there's a lot of bureaucracy there's a lot of boring things to do there's a lot of stress um i mean as a as a as a as a as a ceo of a company you you are responsible so sometimes you know you you have to you know solve problems and it's getting sometimes even a little personal and this is something which is part of the job but for example over the eight years i have never had any really big problems yeah so it's not that everything you decide is 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 automatically brings you into jail or something that's not mm-hmm. that's not true this is what people think that you have um because um you are responsible for a few things which are very important yeah you have to pay your tax you have to be you know all these things you have to pay your people your your employees <laughs> you have to pay uh, all the the social things and so on but at the end i think as a as a ceo your responsibility Uh, remains relatively calm in the way when you are very careful to make decisions but you have to make decisions and all the time and i make a lot of bad decisions but uh, it, in, in overall when you see that the company is successful you see that i make more better decisions than bad decisions i think it's i think it's from warren buffett uh, you don't need to be 100% right all the time it's enough that uh, your decisions are right 51% of the time so you can then yeah, still live with is, the 49% this, bad decisions i i think the difference is from 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 the mental mindset from the mindset is is uh, you have to make a decision my biggest mistakes i did for this company were that i waited too long to make a decision mm-hmm. So this sometimes you just say oh I don't want to decide it is too too difficult uh, so you you make a decision and if it's wrong you correct it yeah 
past, of course. Yeah, this is time. Also, this is time sensitive. Um, um, of course, you need planning and so on. But at the end, you, there is you 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 look. You have a plus and a minus, and you cannot decide, but you have to decide. And sometimes yeah. you you just make a wrong decision. You know, you invest in in a new device with the hope that this will change something and then after two years the same device is still on the same place and is used once yep. you know 50 hundred thousand euro are invested in the wrong way these are typically this is a small decisions but I, i'm just saying it happens all the time no taking it, taking it, action is always the right thing to do i like the proverb uh the second best solution is always better than no solution at all it's the same with decision making no decision is always the worst thing because it means there is no action. Uh, a wrong decision is better than no decision at all. So, but keep moving forward. That's that's the point, and this is interesting. I just have made some experience with uh, some coaching of, of smaller, um, younger companies here in the area. Um, the the bigger problem of of, of um, is that we haven't learned that because usually. Um, Someone else makes decisions for you. So we have the mentality that I'm just doing my job because someone else tells me how to do it. And that is a different, uh, when you make your own company, there is no one else there anymore. Mm -hmm. And even if there's someone else uh, who is supervising you, uh, you are still responsible to make the decision. And you should really carefully make your own decisions and maybe also decide differently because at the end you're responsible. And this is something we, we, we don't learn, or at least I haven't learned it, and I'm, and I'm true, but uh, it's possible even with, uh, when I started, I was 30, 39. So I'm just saying, um, it is something you can always learn. And I think it's worth doing it. But yeah, of think- course, if you go to a big pharma company, you have a good job, uh, you earn your whatever, you buy your house, everything is fine until you get pension, if you get pension, actually, then um, it's also a way of living. I mean, no, no, no I have no problems with that. But um, I think uh, I appreciate very much that we can, we can, we can change something. And it's, it's, I have also to mention that here. Uh, it's not just me here in the company. Yeah? As the company only works so well because it's a good team. The founders are 100% trustworthy. So if I make a wrong decision, there's no one behind me and takes a knife and, and gets rid of me. So I have also the freedom. Uh, I tell you, uh, with investors in the back, it looks a little bit different. I learned it also the hard lessons. Um, um, just very recently that things getting more complicated so I have less freedom there to do I have to much be more much more careful and you know what happens it uh, leads to um, a slower progress especially in our fast track program mm-hmm. so and that's bad actually so this is also I also want to mention to the investors uh, you also have to trust into your team yeah so they have to to make the mistakes. Of course, you should not kill the company, of course. But um, uh, but it's also important that not every decision has to be directly answered by, oh, you cannot do that because we haven't uh, agreed on that. Because if you do this, you 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 have to make decision often in in a day, 
or in an hour, you cannot always get an agreement of all all the shareholders. And that is something I think um, I haven't figured out the right way to do it. Maybe maybe in the future you you have a better preparation. Um, in this case, for example, I've learned um, that we often react extremely fast out of, um, of of an opportunity. Let's say it this way. It's not chaotic like like it sounds. You 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 talk to someone. You have an opportunity. He says you have five minutes to decide. Let's say it. maybe you have a day or two. You make a decision, and maybe it changes the whole company in a positive way, or doesn't harm the company anyway. If you always have to, you know, ask everyone and make make an agreement and a compromise, you will not have uh, much fun in it. But that depends from many many things. I, you you often cannot control. I think investors need to be on board, and they need to give give um, the team enough freedom that they. Can, can do or maybe support them even in a different way. I, I just say also, I think a lot, of, I, I've met a lot of investors actually in the last year. A lot of people want to uh, have asked us if we have a project or we want to invest something in our company. We haven't done it yet, actually, because of uh, reasons, um, because it's, contract research is not, not the business uh, you really can get investors involved, but there are investors also doing that. Um, and just saying, I've learned a little bit, and I've also realized that sometimes the the investors are really important to change the whole company. So if a company stocks, let's say since years with the same business and there's no movement, investors often also help not only with money but also with expertise to you know give it the company new, new a new turn into the right direction and then the whole company can 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 be again grow and and, and flourish you know, this is, i think that's why I'm, uh, uh, i think we really have to work together everyone you know investors and True. and and team and 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 yeah and also not to mention with the covid-19 project we, we we also need need um um so some Political work, with our, uh, the lobby work with, with our politicians, because just a brief example, I always explain what we do. I always, I have the feeling, even my, my, my bank, for example, I always explain what we do again and again. It's not their expertise. It's out of, it's a different world we are living in. Yeah. And if you ask someone on the streets, do we need biotechnology? You say, what's that? I don't need it. I don't need biotechnology. Of course they need it, but they don't understand that this might be the, the cancer drug helping you in 10, 10 or 20 years, or it's uh, it's whatever that is. Maybe drinking a beer is biotechnology and no one really knows that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that, that's a little bit what always is funny when I say uh, we have a biotech company and then they're looking at me and say, oh, Oh. What's that? What's that? Yeah. <laughs> Who yeah, needs but, that? Who needs that? But I think, yeah, but I think a lot of investors, I think yeah. I have, I've talked to a local, um, we have some local investors in the new company mm. and it was starting, oh, this is, um, yeah, it's a gambling. Yeah, it's, a, oh, we don't do that. I said, no, it's, <laughs> there's, a, there's a logical consequence. You invest now. And then later you get out of the company when the next one comes in mm -hmm. and there's a kind of rational that you can also get your money back with a certain kind of profit. And and that's something now they understand that it's fine. Yeah. But uh, the first is, oh, it's gambling. Uh, we don't do that. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, yeah of course. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it, they, they don't, they cannot invest 20 million in a company, but I mean, they could be a very nice uh, financing for a, a seed, a seed money, for example, yeah. for a young startup with, uh, with students from the university. You have some local business angels. Why not? I mean, but I heard once biotech has the formula one of business models. So it's not the easiest one. Thomas, I think we can talk endlessly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, congratulations to your success. Uh, I took from this interview that uh, you founded uh, five companies in Yuma. No, I, I, I didn't find as I, I founded <laughs> three companies, um, but my co-founders have another two yeah. companies. That's, so that's out of the UMAP universe, uh, five the UMAP, that's nice. That's good marketing. The UMAP universe. Yeah. I will use it. <laughs> you have 25 employees and you're doing a great job. There is one final question that I would like to ask you. So if we could assume that uh, you have a time machine and <laughs> you can, you could go back in time and talk to your younger self. So right the moment right before your younger self uh, sign up at the university, what advice, what, what, what would be the most important advice you would like to give your younger self? It's actually a very, very simple answer, uh, unfortunately. I, 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 I was growing up as someone who's kind of everything was paved, family, you know, good education, then uh, everything was straightforward, but always well-defined mm -hmm. by, not by myself, but uh, by people around me. And it was easy for me uh, to live with this situation. Um, and I realize now, uh, 15, 20 years later, that um, I should have made earlier my, my really own decisions. I don't say... Um, suggesting founding a company because this probably really needs some time maybe i i really appreciate people with with 20 years of age very young and making a company i'm, I'm sometimes asking myself how, how can they do that with mm -hmm. no experience but i would say um um just to say okay i have this vision follow it And don't care so much about what others around you want from you. Just do it yourself. And there is, a, I think, a good chance that you maybe get an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. But this is something I, I, I still have to say. I want I always want to be a scientist. And after 20 years of academic research in universities, I just realized it's not what I want to be. I want to be a good scientist, but I want that my work somehow gets into patience. So I always want to do some biomedical, and you cannot do it at the university. But I'm not sure if I really want to change everything and say, okay, Thomas, with 20 years or 25 years after your, your university, just make a company. I, I think it is good to, to have the time research and maybe also being just a good, good, good professor somewhere, I don't know. Um, but you have to do that by yourself and you have to make the decisions um, by yourself, positive and negative. Thomas, and not blame the others for bad decisions because it's your own decision that you don't, yeah. don't, don't do it yourself. That's true. That's true. I can absolutely agree to that. Thomas, thank you very much for this interview. It's amazing what you and your co-founders are building. I wish you all the best, huge success, and let's stay in touch. Yeah, thank you, Christian. So bye-bye. Okay. <laughs>
Bye. Thanks for listening. Please, please share the podcast and make sure you've subscribed. Have a great day. Mm -hmm.